This message is brought to you by Living Faith Church. You can find us on the web at livingbyfaith.com. I started speaking last week about something that I titled Help I've Discovered. I'm a cannibal. And I want to carry on with that this week. I want to talk about that a little bit more. I, I try to keep practical because I think God is so interested in being a part of your life. And I think if we, if we can't give him access to our life, he just remains as a theory or a concept that sits out there. They came to Jesus and they were talking to him in Matthew 22. And they said to him, tell us what is the greatest commandment? And he said to him, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Love, your God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. There are a couple of things about this. Love in a modern day concept is quite a strange dynamic because we, we find it difficult to be able to lay a hold of it and, and, and really give a definition. Somehow we know it when we encounter it, but we don't, we're not always able to define it. And the thing about it is God is love. And I think what he's saying to us in that verse is the most important thing for you to do is to remember this. My love for you is to, to be experienced. Your heart, your soul, and your mind. Be intentional about opening up the aspects of your life so that you can encounter me. And when we encounter him, the way that we encounter him is when we encounter the spirit of Christ on the inside of us. He's given us that spirit for a reason because he's looking for us to encounter that. The thing about it is, if you encounter that, you will change. You can't play in the rain and not get wet. If you encounter God, you will change. Something is going to shift in your life. When you encounter his love, it is going to make a meaningful and indelible mark on who you are. That's just the way that God is. You play with fire, you're going to get burnt. You play with water, you're going to get wet. You get involved with God, things are going to happen. If nothing's happening in your life, what I would suggest is this. Stick with him because what he'll do is he will take you from the place that you are right now and bring you to a place of encounter. There's too much of the body of Christ that is stuck in religion and not encounter. You, we can't know God and not know him in a meaningful and transformational way. He wants to do something in us. And because he loves us so very much, he's not prepared to leave us where we were. We don't all come from great backgrounds. I mean, apart from you, I'm sure most of you do. <laughs> but if you're really honest, because we, 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 we raised in a broken world and we raised in broken families and we raised with broken parents and we raised with a lot of brokenness. And the thing is, because we're a part of all of that stuff, it, it has a way of influencing who we are and, and becoming a part of who we are. And it introduces us to areas of pain and areas of disenchantment and areas where I feel uncomfortable and I don't like what I, I'm dealing with and in insecurities and, and places in my life that I sit and think that that's not what I want. And the thing about God that's so wonderful about him is that all of that stuff is so inconsequential in what he wants to do. What he says to you is, there's nothing that I can't flood your life with. It, sorry, I, there is nothing that can get in the way of me flooding your life with my love that will not bring about change. 
When God comes into your life and he builds furrows in your life, he's going to turn over stones and all kinds of stuff. And it doesn't matter because God's not here to just give you an idea of who he is. But he understands with so much that constitutes who we are and that forms the foundation of who we are. It comes with emotional baggage, things that are entrenched, fears, insecurities, things that are emotionally entangled in who we are. It's not just a concept. When you encounter God's love, what it does is it changes all of that stuff. John chapter 1 and verse 4 says, In him, it's talking about Jesus, in him was life and life was the light of men. In him was life and life was the light of men. The Spirit of Christ never came into us for no reason. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The intention is he wants to take the life that's on the inside of him. And when you get it in your spirit, you're on your way to loving him in my spirit and my heart and my soul and my mind and my thoughts. He's on a journey. He's on a journey to implant life into who you are. Because when he puts life on the inside of aspects of who you are, he turns the light switch on. And all of a sudden, I begin to radiate and things change in my life because I've encountered his love and it brings about a change in me. And I begin to realize when I encounter him and things begin to change in me that I can start stepping into what his design is for me and the way that he, he, he intends for me to live. You're to be the light of the world. What he's saying is when you encounter life, life was the light of men. And when you start living from light and life, you will radiate that. That's when we become truly who it is that he's called us to be. If we're looking for the full expression of who God is and what he's wanting to do in our lives, there it is in a nutshell, the impartation of life through his love for who we are. So I want to do a little bit of a recap about what we touched on last week because it sets a foundation and when we'll head off in areas. And we were talking about the fact that there was a, a short but very profound invitation. Build your house on the rock. Build your house on the rock. And it's interesting in that because it, for one thing, it seems to underscore the significance and the importance of the foundation of our life. It's consequential, not only to who we are, but it's consequential to God. Not only is it consequential, but he goes on and he says, please understand that the responsibility for building this is with you. God's not going to rush into our lives and do things without an invitation. He doesn't need for us to do it. He's not asking for us to produce it or manufacture it. He's saying, I'll birth it in you, but I'm looking for an invitation. I stand at the door and knock. I'm looking. Will you invite me in? Will you bring me into that space? When God created man, we were created in God's image. The way that we were formed, God created us in such a way that there was a space created within man so that the very nature of God could come and could take up a residence on the inside of him. And taking up residence on the inside of man, it put us at a place where we could reflect his likeness when we began to live from that space. We were created in that space. It's, it, it's like anything that's been produced. It's produced that way. We as human beings, God produced us that way. That's just our form and what we're all about. But what we decide to populate that space with is dependent on us. Populating is our responsibility. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. Are you sure? 
This is, this is good stuff. It's, you're empowered. You're just checking me out a little bit. It's like, it's, I, I'm solid, I promise. We're on solid, we're on terra firma here. We're okay. We haven't gone any, I'll tell you if we wander off into the woods. It's up to you to populate it. He's given you a free will. You're the only beings that have free will. You get to do that. And he'll honor it, even it means, if it means to the exclusion of who he is. We get to do that. What are we really pursuing? What are we trying to get to? What is your goal and your aspiration in life? Ultimately, when you really take all the things collectively and put them together, I would propose to you that it's really to come to a place of fulfillment. Fulfillment. To be complete and whole in every area. Fulfillment and the etymology of fulfillment is really to fill up totally or to fill up completely. That's really what we're aiming for. If we can be full in all of those areas, it produces fruit. Fullness results in consequences. Fullness results in peace, joy, happiness, many of the other things that we're looking for. You can't look for fruit without finding the tree. Everybody's in pursuit of where can I find happiness and where can I find joy? Where can I find? You, you don't, you've got to get the fruit. It's the fruit of what's produced in your life. When I'm full and I'm complete, it'll produce it. So I'm in pursuit of that. And if I'm in pursuit of something like fulfillment, where do I find something like this? And did Jesus even make reference to it? One of the clearest references that Jesus made was when Peter spoke to him and said, I recognize you as being the Christ. And he said to him, blessed are you, Peter. The word blessed there is the Greek word makarios. And what it means is to enlarge and to fill completely. Blessed are you, Peter. What was he saying? He was saying, I'm going, the reason you're blessed, Peter, is because you've stumbled across something that is going to introduce you to the fulfillment that you're looking for and a lifestyle that is going to make you full and complete. The reason that it becomes so consequential is because what he said to him is, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. What he was saying to him was this, I'm introducing you to what you've really been looking for all of your life. The fulfillment and the completion that you've been looking for is not going to come from flesh and blood. It's not going to come from your reality. It's not going to come from your wonderful relationships, your good job, your end of your bonus, or any other place. It's going to come from spirit realm. What he's saying was, if you can lay a hold of and you can put yourself in a place where you allow the spirit to birth something on the inside of you, what is going to birth on the inside of you is going to be something which introduces you to blessing. We want blessing in our life. I need blessing in the way that I think. I need blessing in the way that I approach things. I need blessing in the way that I deal with circumstances and situations and challenges. I need blessing in my life. I need fruit to grow big and robust and to be full and complete. The thing about it is, although the invitation is there and has been extended to us, 
The challenge is, for many of us, we live in spaces where God has created opportunities for us to encounter who he is and allow him to populate our life. But until we move into that space and we allow that to be populated, it remains vacant. And any time there's spaces in our life that are vacant and that are not characterized by his love, it leaves us vulnerable to squatters. Squatters are people who illegally move into unoccupied space. Sometimes what ends up happening is because God hasn't, or because we didn't know God at certain periods of our life, we've had encounters and we've had experiences and we've had all kinds of stuff that happened. And as a result of that, what's taken up habitation on the inside of who we are, are squatters, fears, apprehensions, insecurities. they squatters. They've illegally taken up residence in a place that is exclusively reserved for who God is. Our responsibility is as we're navigating our way through life in pursuit of fulfillment, I'm looking for blessing. And so when I encounter a squatter, I'm at a place where I sit and say, you have no right to be there because you are illegally in a space that is exclusively reserved for the spirit of Christ. And I invite him into that place. And he comes in and the squatter moves out. It becomes important for us because what I've been showing over the last few weeks is the significance and the importance of us being established on a solid foundation. When we're established on a solid foundation, it gives us the opportunity not only to be confident and comfortable and aware of who we are and who his design is for who we are, but it introduces us to the opportunity to step into potential and the things that he's wanting to do in our lives. And so it becomes really important. The, the challenge with it is if people who live from a wobbly foundation have a wobbly life, If your, if your foundation is faulty, your perspective and your definition of who you are as a person is going to be compromised. Your perspective on life is going to be incomplete and inaccurate. Have you ever noticed that? People who are in a place where they, for whatever reason, feel as though they're a victim about life. Everything, they see it everywhere. Every time something happens, it's because I am like this. Well, this happened. Well, it's because I am like this. They see it everywhere. It's pervasive. And when you start to talk to them about who they are, they'll begin to tell you from a skewed perspective. Why? Because my foundation is wobbly. I'm just not a particularly good person. And I really don't like this. And I'm challenged with these kind of, what are they? They're telling you all of the stuff. It's a skewed perspective. It's a skewed perspective. When we live from a skewed perspective, it creates cannibals. And we spoke last week about the fact that cannibals are selective eaters. Cannibals don't just eat because they, they're wanting to fill themselves up. Cannibals have a look and they find people and they find traits and characteristics in people. And it's like, I really wish that was a part of who I am. And what they believe is, if I eat your flesh, it'll feed my soul. So they eat you to become like you. 
What happens is when we have a wobbly foundation, we go into our reality as cannibals. And what we're looking for is we look for people and we look for situations and we look for opportunities and we look for advancement and we look for affirmation. We're looking for things that we can consume in our reality because I want that to be a part of who I am. The challenge with it is this. The only place that you're going to find fulfillment is when you move into a relationship with Christ outside of that you're never going to find it so the problem with it is i'm introduced and i'm starting to feast on all of the stuff and i'm so excited when i meet it because it makes me feel so good and it's so wonderful and it's so gratifying and it's so exciting and it's full of exhilaration and i'm sure it's going to lead me to fulfillment but it doesn't and then i get disillusioned and when i get disillusioned what ends up happening is i end up blaming the very thing It's your fault that I'm not happy. The problem was that I became a cannibal and I went to eat the wrong place. I went to my reality as opposed to understanding that everything that I need comes from Christ. Unless you eat my flesh, Jim gave me this, and drink my blood. What is he saying? Come to me. Outside of that context, you'll never find fulfillment. You will find temporary exhilaration and a quick thrill, but it'll never last because it'll never take you to ultimately what you're looking for. So, Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 to This is Adam and Eve. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? Understand this about Adam. When Adam was created, Adam was created and he's the most perfect representation of what God's true design was for mankind. When he created man, when he created Adam, he created Adam in his image to reflect his likeness and to live from a place of dominion. What it tells us is this, Adam lived in relationship with God. Adam was intimate with God. Adam spent time with God with regularity. What God was doing was the spirit of God was sharing with Adam, this is who I am. This is what I'm all about. He was peppering Adam's life, peppering Adam's soul with godly ideas. And every time he was giving something like that to Adam, what he was doing was he was seeding Adam's life. Seeding Adam's life with who God was. Why? Because he was taking from who he was as his source and he was making that the image of who Adam was to become. That's why relationship between God and Adam was so important because he was the source of Adam's life. He was the source of Adam's identity. Everything came from God. Until one day, One day he was out and his wife called him over 
And what had happened was this. There was a temptation that was put in front of them that said, would you like to be God? This was the temptation. You live from God as your source so that you could be like him and you could reflect who he was. What if you were to be your own God and you were to give definition to who you are and you could give definition to what the likeness would be, to what your future would look like, to what you would step into? What if you assumed the role of God and they thought about it? And what happened when they considered it Their mental faculties kicked in. And they looked at the fruit and they said it was pleasing to the eye. And so they took it and they ate. And it says immediately their eyes were opened. What happened? They were living from life. Life was the light. Life was the life of man, was the life of Adam. It was the light of Adam. They were living off the very nature of God. But suddenly what happened was the invitation was to use their senses, their emotions, and their thoughts. And in that moment, what they did is they opened themselves up to personal definition. And they went outside of the nature of God and they embraced the nature of sin and death. And something came into them in that moment and they knew it. And they not only knew it, but they knew it was wrong. And they felt bad about it. And they had conviction and they felt guilt. They felt bad about who they were and they thought the best thing we can do is let's go and hide from God. Because they got to see themselves for who they really were and what they had introduced into their being, which never existed before. And so in that place, God comes looking for them and he knows what's happened. He's waiting to see how they handle it. And he goes walking in the garden. And he says, where are you? And they said, we're here. We're hiding. Because we're naked. And he says to them, who told you you were naked? You didn't know that before. What he was saying was this. I recognize the fact that what you're seeing in yourself is something that leaves you at a place where you're ashamed and insecure and uncomfortable and full of fear and full of insecurities. And because of that, you're wanting to hide yourself. In our life, the invitation God always presents to us is to live and gain our identity from him. But anytime we go outside of that realm and we decide that we're going to take on the responsibility of defining our identity and our future, we've just fallen for the same temptation as Adam and Eve. 
I'm going to be God of my life. And when I'm going to be God of my life, the only tools that I have in order to build my identity is what I understand and what I feel. And so I go into my reality and I start to gain definition in that space. And I allow everything in that environment to be processed and synthesized through my understanding and my emotion. And it's giving definition to me all of the time. And the problem with it is what I'm doing is I'm allowing the nature of sin and death access to who I am. If that's the root and those are the seeds that I'm sowing into who I am, they're going to produce nothing but sin and death. The problem with it is, that's when I get ashamed. There are so many people that are ashamed because there are aspects of our life that we're trying to hide so desperately. We're trying to put them at a place where we don't want anybody else to see them because we feel vulnerable and we feel naked and we know we shouldn't be like this. It's got even worse in our society. Because we've decided that we really don't need God. We can define ourselves. And so what we've done is we've propagated the idea and we're trying to put it into our schools and our middle schools and our high schools and our colleges and our media and everywhere else. It's all about who would you like to be? What do you feel like being? The invitation is, you can be God of your life. You don't need anybody else to give definition to you. The problem with it is what is ended up, ends up happening is, the minute I go outside of God to find definition, I encounter the nature of sin and death. And when I start to build my identity on sin and death, what ends up happening? I'm embarrassed about who I am. And I feel naked. And I feel ashamed. And so we have to do something as a society to address this. And so we introduce things like politically correct speech. You know what politically correct speech is? Critically, politically correct speech is speech that says, I'm going to indulge your emotions. Your, indul your emotions have led you to a place where you're forming an identity that you know innately is not quite right. And you're a little bit embarrassed about it and a little bit ashamed because you feel naked. But I don't want anybody to say anything. Nobody offend me. And so we curb all speech that could be offensive to people. Why? Because it's all about inclusivity. But I stand for values. Then you're a person of hate. Because there's no room for values and inclusivity. You can't have a value platform when it comes to inclusivity. Because if you stand for something and believe in something, maybe somebody else doesn't. So let's throw all values overboard. Let's say that there isn't a clear way of doing things. And so we start to develop a society that is compromised and that lives from nakedness. We don't only get it in society, but we get it in our own lives. Can I give you 
a practical barometer as to whether you have something in your life that makes you feel naked. Can you laugh at yourself? Can you laugh at the fact that I don't have as much hair as I used to have? And it's okay. Can you laugh at the fact that because I'm a male, I can't multitask as well as a female, and it's okay? Can you laugh at the fact because you're a heterosexual male who happens to be white, I can't dance particularly well? It's okay. If you can't laugh at yourself, what it's telling you is, I'm trying to hide my nakedness. Anytime you're in a place where somebody takes the mickey out of you and you're offended, you're naked. You've just discovered your nakedness. You've just discovered your nakedness. The problem with it is, when we start moving into that arena and we start moving to our realities to find definitions for who we are and what our lives should be and how we should make decisions, it becomes very murky and it becomes very blurry and it's so hard to find a definition for truth. I don't think you're smart. Is that true or isn't it? How do you know? Maybe they're right. Maybe they're wrong. How do you know what truth is? How do you discover truth in a place where you move into a reality and it's just about opinions? It's just about voices. It's just about ideas. Do we characterize them based on credibility? Well, I think they're a more informed individual. They carry more weight in my life, so that must be true. We can't find truth and we struggle to find truth. One of the biggest challenges that we have is that we're always in pursuit of perfections. We need to be perfect in all we do. We want, to, we want to be the best at everything that we do. And we struggle when we're not. But you know what the funny thing is? God never called you to be perfect. He called you to be you. I can't do that very often. Because when I'm living from my reality and my reality is giving definition to me, if I'm not the best, what does it say about me? My potential to be exposed and naked rests on me being the best. But if I'm not, I'll be exposed. And then I feel vulnerable and I want to hide my nakedness. Does it mean I'm not as good as everybody else? Does it mean I'm not fabulous? Does it, what does it mean? We want to compare ourselves to other people. Well, you know, they're bigger than me and they're richer than me and they've got more hair than me and they can sing and they can dance. They've got more accolades than me. So? It's not your race. I'm glad you can put a rocket on the moon. It's not my race. I don't know what people's... It's their race. Take your eyes off other people because you will spend your life feeling naked. 
I'm not the same as them. I'm not as good as them. It's because you weren't called to run their race. Run your own race. This is my race. This is where I'm going. You do your thing. I'm happy for you. I celebrate you, but I'm celebrating myself. And I'm happy with where I'm going. And this is where God is directing me. And this is what he's called me to do. And this is what I'm called to. And I'm doing this on my, by myself. Where's everybody else? Who cares? He didn't call them to do it. Do it. Why? Because there's some places where you journey between you and God. And in that space, you know what? Nobody else matters. Nobody else matters. You're running your own calling. Um, well, before we get into that, God is spirit. If you're a born again believer, He's on the inside of you. My world, fallen world, the place, the deceiver, Satan. I connect with spirit through relationship. I connect with my world through my senses, how I feel and what I think. I live by faith. I live from what I see and what I feel. One Peter chapter five and verse eight. It says, "I just want to get the first few words." If Donna gets it up, yeah, there we go. Be sober-minded and watchful. Be sober-minded and watchful. What he's saying is this: Pay attention. Pay attention. Be on guard. Okay. Your adversary, the devil, go, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Okay? He's looking to dislodge you from God's plan for your life. Okay? Now, can, is there anybody here who woke up this morning to a knock on the door and it was the deceiver himself? In fact, has anybody ever run into the deceiver who said, here I am to steal, kill, and destroy from you? Never. He doesn't come that way. How does he come into your life? He comes into our life through people and voices and ideas and circumstances. He comes in through your reality. He doesn't come in through your relationship with Christ. That's why he's always trying to pull you over this way and introduce you to living from what I think and what I feel. Because what he's doing is he's opening the door to access. And if I can put you in forums where you feel bad and you take it and you consider it and you digest it and you let it get into your life, you've just given him access. The only thing worse than the enemy without is the enemy within. He can mess around out there and make your environment. But if he can get into your heart, if he can get into your life, if he can begin to dislodge the foundation of your life, you will live a wobbly life until that space is invaded by his love. 
It's the challenge. Remember this. Any time the invitation is to live by how you feel or what you think, he's inviting you into temptation. He's saying, open the door a little bit for me. Just open it, and I'll just put something in there for you to consider. I'll give you an idea to think about. Recognize that the nature of sin and death comes through there. Close it off. Guarding your heart. We speak about that so much. That's how you guard your heart. Don't go into your reality to find your definition. You stay out of that place. The way that you find your definition is in your relationship with the Spirit of Christ. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We spoke about this briefly a couple of weeks ago. It's beyond coming into a space like this where you simply recognize and, and you have praise and worship. That is a lifestyle. What he's saying is, understand the significance of the most important part of your life, your foundation. And what he's saying is, the way that you build your foundation is through worship. Worship is a lifestyle that sits and says, I recognize and I value. I place worth and significance on spirit as opposed to flesh. I'm not going to my reality to get definition anymore. I'm closing the door to any access because I'm not living as a naked person anymore. I'm moving over this place because I'm giving access to the spirit of God to come into that space. I'm saying I'm making a choice. Worship lifestyle is a choice. I choose to place emphasis and worth and value on who he is. And because of that, I give him free access to come in and flood my life, to fill the foundation of my life, to get it established in who he is and what he's all about. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For what? I was going to say, where, where, where are you off to here? Donna, the Lord is not confused. 12, 1 and 2. Okay, here we go. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Just leave it up there. You're not presenting your bodies as a living sacrifice is. It's an act of worship. If it were... Worship him in spirit and in truth. What it's saying is, I'm being intentional about sitting, saying, I'm presenting my body as a living sacrifice. I'm presenting those things which give me access to my reality. I'm sacrificing it. I'm not going there anymore. I'm living a lifestyle of worship that esteems who he is and what he's all about. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy Holy is allowing the Spirit of God to come in and flood you in completion. It makes you whole and complete, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. What he's saying is this, don't want you to be conformed. The problem with it is there are too many people who live in conformity. What happens? I haven't made a quality decision to allow worship to define my life. And so I live in a space where I just get sucked in with regularity to how I feel and what I think and my opinion and blah, 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 blah. and what happens? I spend my life naked, hiding, hoping nobody sees me. The wonder of what Jesus did was this. Up until Jesus came and died, we had no option. All we had was to live from our reality because we never had Christ. That's what was so marvelous about Christ. When he came in, he said, I'm coming in and I'm coming in to introduce you to freedom. And freedom will set you free. It'll liberate you from this whole reality and this sense of definition of who you need to be. And it'll make you brand new. It'll transform you. That's how we intentional about saying, I want the life of Christ to come and flood my being. A life of worship will change you. Life of worship is intentional. Life of worship really hits the cold face when you're faced with something. And my natural inclination is to get in and be motivated by how I feel. And I stop and I say, wait, this is a moment for worship. Romans chapter 8, verses 6 to 11. Okay. You're on the ball, Donna. For to set the mind on the flesh is? You said it, not me. But to set the mind on the spirit is? Just leave it up, Donna. You're sitting in the fulcrum. You're sitting in the place every time when you navigate life and you get a choice. Build your house on the rock. Live from a place of worship. Get yourself to a place where I sit and say, I'm not allowing death into who I am. It's not going to steal, kill, and destroy from me anymore. I'm embracing life. I'm moving to a space of life and light. I'm to be the light and the salt of the world. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. And it does not submit to God's laws. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Dear Lord, help us. What he's saying there is this. When we allow flesh to give definition to who I am, I've established the root in my life and the tree will grow and the fruit will happen. It's not possible for me to ever please God by sitting thinking I can spend my time pruning the tree so I try and look really good. What he's saying is the root is more important than the fruit. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Yay. What he's saying is this, your body is dead 
because of sin. Okay? If ever you hear your body speaking, okay, understand this. It's nothing more than the morgue having a word. Okay? It's like taking a stroll through, where do you bury dead people? That's the word, cemetery. I couldn't bring, remember it. It's like taking a stroll through the cemetery. That's what your body is. Your body is always looking to introduce you to your reality. What he's saying is the spirit is alive on the inside of you. You have the opportunity. Grab a hold of the spirit. You don't have to go the way of death. Romans chapter 14. Verse 17 says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The foundation to your life has to be built of something. Every foundation is built of a material, built of substance. The question is, where do you go shopping for building material? Into your reality into Christ, into the flesh or into the spirit? Do you live a lifestyle of worship? What he's saying there is this. The kingdom of God is righteousness. You know what he's saying? I'm giving you foundational material. I'm giving you something to clothe yourself in. You don't have to be naked anymore. I'm giving you righteousness. I'll give you something that Christ secured for you and i'm going to give it to you because we live by grace and you take that and you put that on in that space and it starts to give definition to who i am righteousness becomes the building blocks to my foundation and who i am everything that that pertains to righteousness is as a result of christ and what he attained for us the only way that we step into righteousness is through the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you do it this way. You must be born of the water and born of the Spirit. Born of the Word, born of the Spirit. You have to be in relationship. Relationship. Because I'm moving into Spirit now. Relationship with Christ. And when I'm in that space and I'm communing with the Holy Spirit, what happens is he gives me rhema, a word from his lips, not something I've read, but he speaks to me and he gives me something. And when he gives me that something, it's an invitation for the Holy Spirit to act on the word of God and sit and say, I'm coming to get it built into your foundation. And you may have been lonely there, and you may have been depressed, and you may have been afraid, but I'm going to get rid of all of that stuff. You can't get rid of that, but I can. You can't get rid of your fears, but I can. You can't get rid of your depression, but I can. And he begins to do something. It's a supernatural work that he imparts to us, something that we're not capable of doing on our own. What is he doing? He's getting us grounded in the kingdom. The kingdom is advancing in my life. The word and Christ is getting established on the inside of who I am.
Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What he's saying is this. Everything that you're looking for in life, the fulfillment, the completion, the wholeness, the happiness, the peace, the joy, is going to be found inside, not outside. We you seek first the kingdom of God, referring to material things. What God is saying to us, I believe, is everything you need is in the kingdom. The invitation is to start to live life from the inside out. And the way that you do that is by ensuring that you keep the outside out. Don't give it access to your life. Jesus always linked the external with the internal. Jesus never said to people, how are you feeling today? What's your opinion? Jesus never said to anybody, what do you think? Jesus only said, what do you believe? He went right to foundation. What's established inside that? I don't, don't worry about the other stuff. That's fruit. What do you believe? Because when you talk to me from your foundation, I'll see what defines who you are. We have an incredible opportunity as born-again believers to be immersed and baptized in the love of God. For him to take who he is and with regularity invite us to a place where he sits and says, you know what? Let me clothe those areas of your life where you're feeling insecure and embarrassed and naked and afraid with my righteousness. Let me do something in that space. Because when you start to change the foundation of who you are, you will live differently. You will feel differently. You will behave differently. You will see life from a more balanced perspective. You will be more objective because you won't be sucked into your reality and it becomes a reflection of who you are. Life will change when he defines who I am. The temptation is a humanistic one. And society is trying really hard to marginalize Christ. And the way you do that is by not saying we want to marginalize Christ, but by taking what he stands for and the places that are exclusively reserved for him and opening them up to things that make people feel comfortable. What do you feel? What would you like to be? You have a choice, but not all choices are good. I've said before you this day, life, death, blessings, cursings. You choose what you want to do. You have incredible opportunities. Everybody in here, without exception, has got some stuff. Varying degrees of residue from living life before we knew Christ. 
we never had the Adam experience where we grew up with him. We had the problem of not growing up with him. And so some stuff has come in. The reason that he's invaded your spirit is because he's wanting to invade your life. Spirit, heart, soul, mind, emotions, thoughts, feelings. He's wanting all of who you are to experience the fullness of love that he has for you. And in a practical way, that's how he invites us to participate in it. Can we please stand? So before I pray, but I'm going to give you homework, and your homework is going to be linked to this prayer. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit this week to reveal to you areas of your life where you're naked. And what I want you to do in that space is I want you to get to a place of relationship, sit down with the Holy Spirit, and talk to him. We access spiritual things relationally, not through our senses. Sit down and speak with him. Seek those things which are above where Christ is. Seek Christ's ideas to replace that. Set your mind. Be intentional about meditating on what he gives you. And when the inclination is to go back to the dirt, back to the pigsty, back to your reality, manage your thoughts. I'm not going there. Take every thought captive. Father, I thank you for an incredible bunch of people. I want to thank you, Father, for the potential of every life here today. I want to thank you that you made each one individually. Each one has got a race. Each one has got a journey. Each one has got a purpose. Each one has got a destiny in you. And I want to thank you, Father, that none of them are the same because you're into exclusivity. Help us keep our eyes on ourselves. Help us keep our eyes on our race. Help us keep our eyes outside of our reality and focused on you who guides us and leads us. I pray, Holy Spirit, as we engage this week, I ask you to, be, to start to work in the, the lives of people here. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to open the eyes so that they, beget, they get to see and recognize areas of their life where squatters have taken up residence. And the Holy Spirit, as they get together with you, I want to thank you for the invitation that you extend to us to move us into that space where you flood those areas with Christ's love. I thank you for change and transformation. I thank you for the life of Christ that comes in and turns the light switch on. We thank you and bless you for it right now. In Jesus' name. Amen.